I can see why that that song produced such worship in your practices. Um, surely it produced a great amount of worship even this morning as we just ponder and think about that. Dust to dust, we will trust in the timeless one. Meaning, from the beginning of our life to the end, we're going to trust in Him. Now this morning, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through chapter 3, verse 13. And I would like to read the scripture this morning as we begin. Paul writes, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May the Lord make you increase and bound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. This is the word of the Lord. You know, I entitled this sermon, The Fabric of Discipleship. And the reason I chose that metaphor is that fabric is, is held together by threads. And each thread individually is weak and is not sufficient. But when you put them all together, it provides the strength that, is, that proves to be useful. And as we look at the passage this morning, we're going, to, we're going to see three, actually four, threads of biblical discipleship. And what we're not going to see is we're not going to see uh, commands or imperatives as to how to make disciples, but we are going to see someone who made disciples. We're going to see an example before our very eyes. Now we all know as Christians we are to make disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said it himself in Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 through 20. He says, "Go and therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold I am with you always to the end of the age." And we see a disciple is someone who has been identified with God. 
through faith in Jesus Christ. We have been identified with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we have learned and began to follow Christ's teaching. And so we as disciples of Jesus Christ are to make disciples of Jesus Christ. But you know, it's been, it's been my experience that um, it's not enough just to understand what we are to do, but we also need to be able to see how we are to do it. For example, think about this. Think about uh, if you were to sit down with someone and explain to them, show them, tell them how to play the game of basketball. Now you can sit down at the table with them and explain the rules. You can talk about dribbling and shooting and passing. You can talk about offense, defense, how to guard people. And you can do that forever. And they will know a lot about basketball, but they'll never learn how to play basketball. And what you have to do is give them the ball, take them to a basketball court, and play the game. And it's through not only knowing what basketball is in the game and how it's played, but actually playing it that they learn the game itself. And so as Christians, we know that we're to make disciples. We know that. We know that we are to come alongside other people and help people become followers of Jesus Christ. But if we, if we have never seen that happen, if we've never had that modeled for us, it's going to be very difficult for us to make disciples. And that's why this passage that we're studying this morning is so important. Uh, because some of you have never seen or you've never, you've never had anyone model for you what it looks like to make disciples of Jesus Christ. You've never had someone show you what it looks like to come along someone, pray for someone, teach them how to study the Bible, encourage them, challenge them, and then send them out to do the same with someone else. And so what we're going to observe this morning is a man who made disciples. And I believe what we're going to see here is that there are four threads in his lifestyle, you might say, that make up the fabric of discipleship. And each thread is important. And the more of these threads that you see as a part of your own life, and the more of these threads that you can have part of your own life and in your relationships, the more fruitful you're going to be in making disciples. I want to share with you the four threads, and then we'll walk through this passage together and observe them in the Apostle Paul. The first thread is being present. Presence. Being there with someone. The second one is sacrifice. The third one is communication. And the fourth one is prayer. So let's look first at being present. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17-20. through 20. And If you don't have a Bible, we have one in the pew in front of you you can use. And as you turn there, I just want to remind you of the context. Paul came to Thessalonica. He shared with them who Jesus is and how they can have a relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ. If they would just place their faith in Christ. He spent several weeks with them, sharing the gospel with them, sharing his own life with them. And then one night, he was run out of town and left behind this young church. And over the period of time after that, he was overwhelmed with concern as to how this young church was doing. And then he's able to write this letter to them, and this is what he says in verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, 
in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our God, for our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. He says, we were torn away from you. And that phrase there uh, is often used of a child that is separated from his parents. It's an unnatural separation. And so Paul says, we were torn away from you. This is not the way it was supposed to be. We want to be with you. And we see that Paul's telling them, even though we were physically separated from you, you were still in our hearts and our minds. We remembered you in our prayers. But even Paul, even Paul knew that in order for the Thessalonian church to continue to be discipled, someone had to be present with them. It wasn't just enough to write a letter to them, but somebody had to be present with them to encourage them in their walk with God. And that's why I believe he says in verse 17 that they endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. And I I believe that you cannot make disciples unless you are with someone face to face. And we've come a long way, you know, in our technology from Paul's day. You know, most people that we know are a click or a call away. We can email, we can text, we can call, we can do FaceTime, we can Skype. We can do all types of things to communicate, to connect with people. But even still, the way we make disciples is by being present with people face to face. You must be with people. You cannot isolate yourself. You cannot disciple from a distance, but you must be present. Just imagine, imagine trying to parent your children from a distance through the telephone, through writing letters, through email. It just doesn't work. Imagine being in the medical field and trying to diagnose your patient without seeing them or being with them. You can't do it. You have to be with them. You have to be present. And if we're going to make disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to be present with people because discipleship happens through a relationship. And the only way a relationship can be formed is by being present with the people. Now notice at the end of verse 18 that Paul says that although he sought to be with them, he wanted to be with them, spend more time with them, He was hindered by Satan. Satan is the great adversary to the Christian. He is the one who seeks to remove you from God and remove you from God's people. His primary goal is to just isolate, to move you away. And we've all seen this happen, have we not? In our own lives, in in the lives of others, when we fall into sin, when we do something we know is wrong, instead of running to Christ and running to the people of God, Sometimes we run from them and we isolate ourselves from Christ and we isolate ourselves from the people of God. And that's the work of Satan. He wants to isolate you and keep you from being present with people that will build you up in Christ. I want you to listen to these words uh, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I want you just to think as I read these words, 
Is this how you see the church? Is this how you see the community of believers? Here's what he writes. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace. A gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us. That the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him until now who has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. Do you see the church like that? Is that your experience that you see it's just purely by God's grace, it's a gift of God that I can be with other Christians, that I can be present with other Christians. We will not experience that unless we're involved in the disciple-making process. If we are making disciples, if we are growing in our own uh, relationship with the Lord. So the first thread is the fabric of presence. And the second thread in this fabric of discipleship is the thread of sacrifice. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1-5. through Paul writes, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. That no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. You see what he says in verses 1 and 2? He says, when I could bear it no longer... I sent Timothy to you. And so what we see in the life of Paul here is we see Paul living out what he will later challenge the Christians in Philippi to live out. In Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 2 verse 4, he tells them to not look out only for your own interests, but also look out for the interests of others. In other words, in the Christian community, if we're going to make disciples, we have to sacrifice. And what that means is we simply need to give up things that are perhaps under our possession for the good of other people. Now this may be resources, but it also means time. Ourselves. Giving of ourselves. So what did Paul sacrifice for the Thessalonians? Well, we see in this passage that he sacrificed being with Timothy. He sacrificed a piece of his own community. And Timothy was very dear to him. He refers to him in 1 Timothy as a son in the faith. And he sends Timothy, even though he will have to be left alone in a hostile place in Athens, he sends Timothy on for the good of the Thessalonians. And we all know this, that if any relationship is going to grow and flourish, it's going to require sacrifice. It's going to mean that you're going to need to give of yourself. It's going to mean that we're going to need to look out for the interest of those around us. It will mean that we will need to give of our time. 
It will mean that we will need to share in the burdens of one another. And all of that is voluntary. You don't have to do that. You choose to do that. But if you are going to make disciples of Jesus Christ, you have to do that. You have to give of yourself. Give of your time. Share in the burdens. Get messy in ministry. Ministry is messy. There's no other way to put it. If you get involved in people's lives, it's, it's messy. But that's how you make disciples. You get in and you share Christ. You share your life. You're present. And you sacrifice. So it requires us to give up our time, perhaps other things. And I want you to think about this. Is there someone that maybe you've been thinking about spending more time with, walking through the Scriptures with, praying with, but you've just not done that because of busyness or some other reason? You know, maybe, maybe now's the time to take a sacrifice, to give of yourself, and start investing in someone. Pouring your life into someone. Getting into the Word together with someone. Praying with someone. Discipling someone. Because if you're not willing to share yourself, you will never make disciples of Jesus Christ. This can't happen. Listen to what Paul says in verse 5. He says, For this reason, he repeats it again, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. You see, Jesus told Paul, Paul, your role in the kingdom of God is to make disciples and plant churches. That's what you are to do. That's what Jesus commissioned Paul to do. And so what Paul was saying here is that although he is, he is very deeply concerned about the Thessalonians, no doubt about it, he has a strong relationship with them. But he's also deeply concerned about God's call on his life. And so when Paul stands before Jesus, he wants to be able to say that he sought to fulfill the mission that God had put on his life. And although we, you know, we don't share the exact same mission as the Apostle Paul, surely we do share in the mission of making disciples. And so we too should see our lives as an opportunity to live out the mission that Christ has given to the church and that mission is to make disciples. And this will require being present, this will require sacrifice, and thirdly, it will require communication. Paul shares with us in verses 6 and 7 the following. He says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. You see the communication? Paul sends Timothy to encourage them in the faith. They send Timothy back, giving news to Paul about how they think kindly of him. Even though he had to leave in the middle of the night, they still think kindly of him. And that their faith and love is blossoming in the midst of difficulty. And so we see this communication go back and forth. But one thing I want you to see 
is that their communication was Christ-centered. It was all about their faith. That's what they were talking about. That's what was most important. And if you're going to make disciples of Jesus Christ, then we must communicate about our faith. Now that sounds obvious, doesn't it? You're like, well, Ron, that sounds pretty obvious. If you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, you need to talk about Jesus. But... We can find a million topics to talk about other than Jesus. Can we not? And I'm not saying that we should not talk about the Braves game from Saturday night. I'm not saying that we should not talk about the weather or the news or the economy. But I want to tell you this. We will never make disciples of Jesus Christ if we do not talk about Jesus. It will not happen. He must be on our lips and we must talk about Jesus both with those who know Him and those who don't if we want to be involved in God's great commission of making disciples of the nations. And I'm convicted of this because often I see this thread missing in my life. Missed opportunities. Time not taken. Not being present. Not sacrificing. Not taking the conversation further into spiritual things, into things that matter. Things about Christ and people's relationship with Him. You know, without this thread, the fabric falls apart. If we don't talk about Jesus with one another and those that don't know Him, discipleship will not happen and we will not be involved in God's mission in the world. The last thread is prayer. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 8 through 13. Paul writes, For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. You can just see Paul when he receives the news that the Thessalonians' faith and love was blossoming in the midst of difficulty. You can just see him give a huge sigh of relief. You know, he's, he hears the news and he's just, whew, praise God. And in that next breath, he's praising God for what God's doing in Thessalonica. And we've already seen that Paul prays for them. In chapter 1, verse 2, we read, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And in chapter 3, we see it again. And we see Paul lifting up three specific requests on behalf of the Thessalonians. One is that he would see them again face to face. He wants to be with them. And I believe five years later, after writing this letter, he was able to see them again face to face on his third missionary journey through Macedonia. And you can read Acts 20 to see that prayer request answered. His second prayer request was that the Lord 
would make them increase and abound in love for one another and for all. His third request was that Jesus would establish their hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. And so what we see here is that prayer was clearly a normal practice for Paul. And we see it not only in this letter, but also in almost all the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament. If we're going to make disciples of Jesus Christ, we not only need to talk to others about Jesus, but we must talk to Jesus about others. We have to pray. We have to pray for one another. We have to ask God to do what only He can do. You cannot change anybody's heart. That's God's job. He does that through the gospel, but the gospel comes through us. And we can ask God to do that. We need to be in prayer for one another. And this was true of Paul, and we clearly can see how God mightily worked through him. But you know, Paul was simply just carrying out what he saw modeled in another. See, there was another man who modeled what it meant to be present. In the Gospel of John, we read that the Son of God took on flesh and dwelt among us. We are able to know God because God became present among us and He became one of us. God was present. He is present. In the letter to the Philippians, we read in chapter 2, verse 4, that we should not only look for our own interests, out for our own interests, but we're to look at the interests of others. But then Paul continues in that passage and he gives us the reason why. He says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, the reason we sacrifice and give of ourselves to others is because God gave of Himself to us through Christ. And we're simply, we're simply trying to be like Christ. And that's what Paul was doing as well. It was, it was Jesus Christ that made the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me so that we could receive the ultimate blessing of knowing God. And again, in the Gospel of John, the Son of God is called the Word of God. Jesus Christ makes God known perfectly. He communicates who God is perfectly. He's the image of God. He's the fullness of deity in bodily form. And that's why Jesus could tell His disciples, disciples, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. He communicates God Perfectly, And lastly, in John 17, we see Jesus praying for His followers that they would be set apart for God's mission in the world. He prays that we would experience and show forth the love of God to one another so that the world will see that we are one and know that God has sent His Son. So simply put, making disciples is being like Jesus. If we want to be like Jesus... We're going to make disciples. We're going to be present. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to communicate the gospel and we're going to pray. 
And you may say, Ron, you know, I already know that. (laughs) I know all what you just said. And I know many of you do. But this is a stark reality in the church today. That we know that, but it's like we are those people who are sitting at the table learning about the game of basketball, but we've never stepped on the court. Now's the time. If you are not playing the game, if you are not on the court, dribbling, shooting, passing, being present, sacrificing, communicating Christ, and praying, now is the time for us to be involved in that. And this is not some new initiative for our church. This is not a new Sunday school class or small group Bible study or some program we're rolling out. That's not what this is. Making disciples is the mission of the church. That's what we do. And if we are not making disciples, if we are not all involved in making disciples, then we are not fulfilling the great commission of our Lord. I want you to think about this. What would it be like What would it be like to see men and women meeting with other men and women during breaks and during their lunch hour to pray for one another, study the Bible together, encourage one another? What would it look like for parents to read the Bible with their children and pray with them? What would it look like for grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins to talk about Jesus with their family? You know, what would it look like to see neighbors gathering together in homes, praying together, studying the Bible together, encouraging one another, challenging one another? What would it look like for Christians to long to be together, to sing, to pray, and to study God's Word together? What would it be like? I hope we will see the day that this is happening all across our city. Let us pray. God, thank you for your word and thank you for the examples in your word. How you tell us not only what to do, but you give us several examples as to how to do it. Or thank you for this example of the Apostle Paul who modeled what it looks like to live on mission with you, to give His life, to share His life, to be present in the lives of people, to sacrifice for the good of others, to communicate the gospel, to build one another up, to pray for each other. Thank You for that, God. Lord, show us where You want to have us move forward in faith. What area do You want to grow us in, God? Lord, please make that clear. Please challenge us in Your Word here by Your Holy Spirit. That moving forward from today, from this moment, that we would seek to be involved and be available in the process of making disciples of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.